Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, brought to you by the Sportsman Channel. All hunting, all fishing, all the time. Contact your local network provider and ask about the Sportsman Channel today. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, Christian Berg. Welcome back to another episode of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. I'm editor Christian Berg, and as always, we're glad that you've taken some time to spend with us today and get uh, the latest and greatest bowhunting information. Today, I'm live uh, on location in the Edmonton uh, Bow Zone up in Alberta, Canada. It is the 22nd of November. The temperature is about uh, minus 20 degrees Celsius, and we're hunting monster whitetails in this legendary area with Classic Outfitters and uh, Jim Hull Jr., who's the owner of Classic Outfitters. Jim, thanks for having us up this year and uh, really appreciate the chance to see this little piece of hunting paradise that you have here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you, Christian, and uh, always a pleasure to be in the Edmonton Bow Zone and uh, always a special place to be, that's for sure. Yeah, the deer are rutting right now, and uh, tell, tell me a little bit about the bow zone. What is the Edmonton bow zone? How big is this area, and uh, what, what you know, makes it so unique as a bow hunting area for trophy whitetail? Uh, the bow zone itself, Christian, was created in 1974, actually. It's about a 30-mile radius of the city of Edmonton, more or less, which consists of about 1,600 square miles, and it was originally designed for the... Um, safety of the of the local residents, but what's resulted in the, that time since 1974 has been the creation of what's regarded by many people as the premier place to bow hunt trophy whitetails. So 35 years of no rifle hunting whatsoever within a 1600 square mile area, and the, the deer obviously have got some age on them here. Yeah, the thing that makes it special up here is the exactly that the age. The animals don't get harvested at a young age. Uh, combined with the uh, the nutrition up here, if you're ever up here in the summer, you notice how rich the soil is. It's very, very rich in terms of the farming community. The crops are very strong, and the Canadian genetics. There's nothing quite like it. When you see, you know, we always refer to the trophy whitetails and the record class animals, but even when you see the does up here, you'll notice the size of the deer is uh, the deer are much larger than many of the other other places. Sure, absolutely. And, and like you said, the rich agriculture, this ground is, you know, about 70% farmland, 30%, you know, woodlots and other types of cover. So lots of barley, um, other types of grains are grown in this region, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I think your numbers are pretty much right on the 75 or 70% open country versus 30% woodlots. And most of the country that we, most of the ground we hunt is cereal crops, uh, barley, wheat, that sort of thing, and then alfalfa. Um, but it's very, a very rich farmland and uh, conducive to some great hunting as, as a result. Now, Jim, you're, you're 47 years old. You'd mentioned that to me the other day, and your involvement as an outfitter really grows out of a lifelong love affair that you've had with the outdoors and with hunting, and you have a fairly rich uh, series of accomplishments in bow hunting in your own right, including uh, being the holder of the number two uh, typical whitetail in Alberta history, and I think the number five whitetail in Canadian history, uh, typical with bow, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's correct, Christian, and that, the thing that's ironic about that story is I've made my, my living guiding now for, I believe this is, this is the 27th year as an outfitter, and that particular whitetail I took in 1999... Um, 
I believe its gross score was 199 and 5 eighths with a netting 192 typical. But the thing that was ironic about that hunt is the guide was being guided. My brother Doug was responsible for the setup of that hunt, and I was put in place of a hunter and trying to execute his hunt plan, which is the reverse. That's generally what I'm doing with the guys that have been coming up here for all the years. So, <clears throat> so you got that 199, and um, you know, in case people think that that's kind of like an aberration, just in the time that I've been up here, and I've been here, I think four days now, maybe five. Yeah, four, four to five days. Yeah, I've seen two deer. The other hunters have brought back to camp, and one was a 187 two for days ago. Correct. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you're consistently killing animals up here. You know, it's not unusual every season to probably have at least a couple clients killing 180 class deer, and um, you know that's pretty impressive. Yeah, in terms of the in terms of the Edmonton bow zone, it's an amazing place because you know that's exactly right. If year to year we generally average a lot of the deer we take average better than 150 gross inches, and we're taking them up and over 200, and it's hard to believe unless you see it for yourself. As far as world-class standards, we referred we referred to the excuse me, we referred to the deer that I took in uh, um, 1999 being a 200 class deer. In 1991, a good friend of mine, who I actually got into bow hunting, Don McGarvey, took a deer that was one that was 204 that netted 199, which is the one that's ahead of mine. And I believe approximately five to ten years ago, Wayne Zaff took a deer. It was that was a standing pending new world record. Um, I can't remember the numbers exactly, but a little less than 210 typical, I believe it was, which for, which for, uh, later on was eliminated as such. But point being is just the world class animals that are coming out of this zone. It is truly is phenomenal. So clearly, you know, the these animals are here. You know, and I've seen them. I've seen some smashers myself, and so that the attraction here for bow hunters. Uh, you know, particularly American bow hunters who come up as, mainly as your clientele here is obvious. But at the same time, this isn't exactly a garden spot in the third week of November. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, it's minus 20 degrees Celsius out there. It's about probably minus 10 Fahrenheit. And you do get cold uh, hunting out there. And the cold is just one of many challenges that you've got to face to tag these whitetails. Uh, talk to me about the elements, about the quiet, and basically uh, some of the things that you're doing. I know you refer to it as your system to try and get a leg up and create opportunity for people on these trophy whitetails here. Well, firstly, Christian, I can't agree with you more in terms of referring to the area as not a garden spot because the first thing I do when a hunter is inquiring and he's excited about the potential of the Edmonton Bull Zone. I actually go the other way and tell them it's not an easy place to hunt. I don't glorify it for them. I actually, to some extent, my approach is intimidating with the fact that I tell them it's so difficult and it can be so difficult. Um, and you have to come here with mental preparation and physical preparation. You have to be tough to get these hunts in. I know tomorrow morning, for instance, the temperature is going to drop to about minus 28, minus 29 Celsius degrees which is pretty cold, to say the least, but it's not even the coldest that we've had. We've been down in the minus 40s as well, and that turns from hunting into survival to some extent. That's the bad news. The good news is the biggest whitetails in the world start to move more and more freely as the temperatures drop. 
in terms of in terms of opportunity. If these animals will travel for us, we can generally get in bull range of many of these animals. But you have to be able to survive it. You have to be able to be there. And in terms of the preparations that we do, we were were. We wear Arctic boots, we wear multiple layers of clothing, we use heat packs, we use boot dryers to make sure your boots are dry and warm before you leave here. A combination of many things which adds up to being in, in, in uh, preparations clothing-wise would be our system or the program as you might call it as well, combined with our hunting tips and or tactics and techniques in order to close the gap as well. Right, and that's that's the other thing I wanted to talk about. You know, you're... I think it would be a euphemism to say that you're particular about, you know, the way that your clients hunt. I actually was talking to Dennis, one of the other hunters in camp last night, and he's been here, I think he said this was his fifth year, and I was asking him about you, and he described you. He said, you're like a drill sergeant, okay? Uh, Tell me a little bit about the way that your hunters need to hunt here to be successful and why that is. You know, and obviously, you know, to kind of guide your answer, it's got a lot to do with how quiet the woods are here in Alberta. Well, that's exactly right, Christian. The thing that's important here is to be in the Edmonton Bow Zone and be here in attendance is only the beginning. Some hunters think that if, if they're up here and they're hunting here, they're in the game, when in fact we've had many hunters go through camp over the years in the hundreds, and some of the gentlemen that have been up are very, very effective in the field, while other ones are not effective at all, and that's due to their preparations. Um, in my particular case, we take it very seriously in order to not, not to waste a man's precious time, the money he's spent to be here, the effort to be here, and the endurance of the cold and, and the elements. So we are very particular with getting a hunter on track as quickly as possible, and I'm not everybody's best friend. I'm not here to sugarcoat it. I'm not here to tell people how great it is when it's not. I am not here to make it easy for them if they're not going to be effective. I am here understanding that they've, they've come a long way. They're, they're spending their precious money. And some of our hunters over the years aren't with us anymore. I mean, when, when I say not with us anymore, they've, 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 they've gone to the other side, and this was a special trip for them. So it's very important for us as an operation to take it's seriously in every sense of the word and hopefully have a little fun along the way but uh, is it fun hunting the Edmonton Bozone when it's minus 30 degrees not exactly but I wouldn't trade it for anything yeah and so you know like I like I had mentioned you know you really almost have to come here and sit out in one of your stands to understand just how silent it is and you know things like you had talked about you know which which actually cost me an opportunity yesterday morning, just the need that every 30 minutes you've got to draw your bow out here because, you know, the ice forms on those limbs or gets uh, on the string, you know, a frost on the string, and then that creaks in the cams. Or yesterday morning it was snowing, and I had, you know, some snow in my roller guard. And when I went to draw that bow, you wouldn't believe how loud just a little crystal of ice, you know, crunching in your roller guard, you know, a little... And it sounds like in these woods, when you've got snow cover on the ground and no wind like there was yesterday, any tiny sound, you know, a deer can hear from hundreds of yards, maybe a mile or a half a mile away. So you stress extreme quiet with the equipment as well as getting in and out. And you kind of have a unique system with your stands, too. You have 
I believe, 100 or so different stand sites uh, on the ground that you control, but you don't have tree stands hanging in the tree all the time, right? No, exactly. We use a pin mount tree stand system that I designed, I feel like I'm aging myself, some 30 years ago, but uh, the reason that we do that is to have many different locations to hunt, Um, and I think our stand sites are probably more so about 150 stand sites for uh, six to eight hunters in camp, um, but we, we use the pin mount stand sites in order to have many options in terms of placing hunters, and one of the greatest factors is, is in diverse conditions, you cannot keep a platform quiet unless it's maintained. Just like your bow, you bring it back to camp, you make sure it's dry, you make sure it's uh, hinging properly if need be. Um, many st- uh, There's a lot of occasions that a stand that would would have been sitting there wouldn't be quiet at all, and that's that's a key that's a key, a key point in terms of us being effective. Right, or else they, in these conditions they'd be covered with snow and ice and that sort of thing, so they'd essentially be unusable if you left them in the field. Precisely. So when you come to the bow zone and hunt with Jim, you know I know that was one of the first things that I was indoctrinated on. When you show up in camp and you're given a, a hang-on stand, a screw-in bracket, and each morning when you go out to the field, you've got to. You know, be prepared to use your your safety harness and your lineman's belt to you know get up the tree as quietly as possible, install your bracket, hang your stand, then go ahead and get on your stand, and get your gear in order, and get ready to hunt. And uh, use stress, safety, uh, taking your time, and you always drop off your hunters uh, early and pick them up uh, late so that nobody has to rush in their in their preparations. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean. The stand system to some people sounds intimidating or sounds ineffective when, in fact, once you get your system, um, once, you, once you get your system about you know and you know what you're doing, it's very, very effective and very, very quick to do. And I think the thing that's so important, everything we talk about in terms of the quietness of installs and even walking in the field and archery equipment being quiet and, and we use vehicles, whether they're all-terrain vehicles or or a jeep to access areas. The thing that's so important to address, and I say it's the number one factor in being successful up here, is to understand the nature of what we're hunting. And some guys will say, I'm up to hunt trophy whitetails. I say, no, actually, that's not what you're here doing. I will say, you're here to try to close the range on experienced animals. There's a difference, meaning that these animals that you're hunting are three and a half and four and a half and five and a half and six and a half animals, or six and a half years old, rather, Mm-hmm. Right. And so that leads into a good segue, too, because, you know, for a lot of guys, myself included, you know, I never know where the next year is going to take me. Yeah. And uh, I've had a great time this week. I, I hope I get the opportunity to hunt the Edmonton Bow Zone again, but you just never know. Uh, and there's a lot of people who might listen to this who say, I'm never going to come to the Edmonton, Edmonton <laughs> Bow Zone. It's too far. It's too expensive. It's too whatever, okay? So. But there's, there is something for these guys to take home, both the listeners as well as guys like me who may be one-timers. You stress that with your clients. You know, you may or may not go home this week with a trophy in your bag, but you will go home a better deer hunter. Talk a little bit about that. Oh, that's, that's a huge point, Christian. And many of our guys come up here and, uh, yeah, I have been called a drill sergeant because we take it very seriously, but in terms of the training and being effective, um, I, for many years, a lot of the guys have gone home and changed their systems at home and their approach to hunting. And 
um, it's it's just a um, it's a hunting a different hunting method. I, I, I call it new school versus old school hunting. The style that we use here is we move a lot from place to place, and uh, we we like we said we pull our tree stands out every day. You bring your bow with you, your stand, your clothing, and so on, and you're mobile to go in a lot of the different places, and you adjust according to the particular conditions, whether it's windy or not windy or warm or cold or pre-rut or rut or post-rut, you have the ability to sh right. shift and move a lot. And uh, there's so many different factors. The dynamics of, of, as the month progresses, not to mention the dynamics of a particular hunt on a, a certain day, you can change drastically from morning to evening and so on. So it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite a detailed thing to say the least, detailed system to say the least. And it's really a mentality. You know, you have the mentality up here, I would say, you know, based on what I've experienced, is you want to basically demand, you know, you're putting together a full effort for your clients, and you want a full effort out of your clients to maximize, you know, the opportunity. And if, if, if we can all go home and uh, take that with us, you know, sometimes it's hard. You know, uh, you think you're just going to maybe sneak out for a quick afternoon hunt, say, back home, and, and, and you're late. So you're going to cut a corner or take a shortcut trail maybe into the stand or something like that. But if the wind is wrong or, you know, you know, you can't be sloppy. And, and I think that's what you stress here. Don't be sloppy. Don't leave anything to chance. You control all the variables that were, are within your control because there's so much that we can never control, you know. That's the deer, you know. And, and I think you actually made a comment to me earlier this week. That you know, there's a million things you know that you can, you have to do right, and the deer is only out there to see the one thing that you did wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, that's <laughs> you know that that's exactly right. Especially the experienced animals. I always say they don't need to know with the experience that they have. They don't need to know what it is in particular, whether it's a sight or a sound or a smell. They just have to know that it's not right and it's unacceptable in their world, and that's what keeps. The world-class whitetails alive as they have zero tolerance for any type of contamination and what our our mission is to some extent is to minimize the contamination and actually be able to close the gap for for getting in bull range of these these uh, world-class animals now just again to stress on the hunting you know you do a lot to minimize the pressure the contamination as you call it the disturbance of these deer and again 150 stand sites I know that I sat in some stands this week that had either been sat, you know, maybe zero times or only one other time the entire previous three weeks that you've had clients in here deer hunting. And you're always moving around with the food sources, the, the periods of the rut. So that's unusual. You know, you go to a lot of other operations, they have, you know, less ground. Uh, fewer stand sites, you know, uh, a lot more contamination, if you will. Yeah, how many acres are you actually dealing with? I think we talked about it the other night. You've, you're over like 3,000 acres that you've got, uh, you know, under control here. So you really have plenty of room to spread out your hunters, and, and you're not really trying to, you know, necessarily bother these animals to any great extent, you know. Well, the, the thing, yeah, no, that's exactly right, Christian. The thing that's interesting here is we used to hunt a lot more ground. And we actually hunt a lot less ground because we found, after doing it for 20-some years, we're more effective hunting less ground with more particularly, I guess you might say, than a lot of ground more vaguely. And um, being the 
fourth week of November now. Um, we're finishing off our fourth week. I think we have still hunted. I know I'm thinking we've hunted about 50% of our stand sites so far, and we will we will barely exceed that before the season ends in another four days. Now let's talk, you know, where the rubber meets the road. This is obviously something everybody wants to know. What is your success rate in terms of opportunity and in terms of harvest here? Generally, on typical November hunting conditions, um, with average weather, we are generally at about 100, we generally exceed 130% at creating opportunity on record class animals based on six-day hunts. What do you mean 130%? Meaning 130% would mean, for instance, if we had 10 hunters in camp, we would create 13 opportunities in that particular week. Good solid opportunities on record class animals, meaning animals that gross more than 125 to 130 inches. Now with that said, as far as the success, success, that's where the breakdown occurs due to lack of preparations or whatever. Our success from there is generally 20 to 30 percent on record class animals based on six-day hunts. Some weeks the guys are very well prepared and they will go with eight opportunities and get four four deer, four good deer. And then other weeks, uh, we had a week last week that we were better than 150% opportunity, we're thinking based on statistic, and uh, our success was more so down towards uh, 15 to 20%. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is due to the preparations and the shooting, the gear prep, the ability to use binoculars, range finders, and uh, generally, generally uh, savvy, right. general savvy in the woods. But I would say, you know, <clears throat> if you look at outfitting operations across North America, 20, 25% for any bow hunting type of an outfitter in a fair chase environment, I mean, that's... To me, that's probably about as good as it can realistically get. So when you're talking about the the conditions, you know, that your clients have to overcome and uh, the trophy, you know, truly world-class caliber of the animal here, you know, you stack up favorably with, you know, anybody else who's out there for sure. Well, I think I think the thing that's very important, Christian, which you touched on is fair chase. And, and when it comes to what I call the real deal, where it is fair chase, there's no fences, um, 20 to 30 percent. We're proud to have those kind of numbers based on on getting getting close to these world class animals. But I mean, we cannot compete with uh, feeders with a feeder. We cannot compete with the, with enclosures, and we don't care to. As a matter of fact, we're very proud to do hunts that I refer to as the real deal. And right. Th- and those are the kind of men that we're after, or women, and if they're so interested. Um, yeah, we were talking uh, yesterday. I didn't even realize even food plots aren't even legal in, in Alberta. That's right. That's so, right. You, yeah, you can't bait. You can't create food plots in terms of uh, attracting deer to hunt them. You certainly can have uh, farmland with crops left and such um, that are natural uh, to hunt, but you can't design food crops or drop bales to hunt over that sort of thing, which which we really enjoy as well. It's... Uh, um, we've really learned a lot about uh, how the deer how the deer live because we've been forced to and how to hunt them um, based on their natural travel patterns and when they're callable and so on. And it's been a great game. So if people are interested in, a, in an outfitted hunt and they're serious deer hunters who don't mind uh, 
you know, I say only half jokingly, suffering a little bit <laughs> to earn the opportunity. Uh, you know, and, and they want to pick up something more than just, it's more than just a vacation here. It's almost kind of like a boot camp, you know, like a deer hunting boot camp. <laughs> But it's fun, too. I mean, here around the lodge, you know, the guys have a great time. The food is awesome. Uh, the accommodations are very comfortable. Uh, you know, Classic Outfitters is definitely, you know, a place that I would recommend if you're interested in, in, in hunting the famous Alberta Bozone. And um, uh, the thing I didn't realize, you know, even until I got up here and somebody else mentioned it, there's very few non-residents who have the opportunity to come do this every year because the Alberta uh, Fish and Wildlife Department uh, allocates uh, a very small number of non-resident uh, bow hunting licenses for this area, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. We're, we're blessed to control the area very well. There's, there, I believe there's 60, around 60 non-resident allocations annually for the Edmonton Bow Zone, of, of which we control about half of them. But... Uh, that combined with the fact that the resident hunting pressure in Alberta, I think there's only 16,000 bow hunters, and when the weather cools off, uh, you, you generally don't see many guys hunting up here except for uh, the non-residents who have decided to hunt with us and, and uh, sit the cold weather. But I will say as well that the Edmonton Bow Zone, you can hunt September, October, and November, and if, if a hunter was ever to ask me when the best time is, unquestionably in November and the cooler weather in November. But you can get some decent hunting in September and October as well. We've taken deer over 180 class in September and October as well. But it's just it's tougher to create opportunity then. But the weather certainly is more pleasant if you can do it. So if I was one of the 60 lucky non-residents to come this year, and if somebody wants to be one of those 60 in the future, Jim, how can they learn more about Classic Outfitters, uh, see some photographs of the uh, trophies that your clients have taken over the years, uh, get more information about dates and seasons and pricing and references of uh, you know past clients and that sort of thing. Yeah, the best way, Christian, is through our website, as you might imagine in this day and age, and uh, classic-outfitters.com is how you look at our information and our photos and the quality of, of the animals that we've taken. And uh, if they're so interested, um, they're more than welcome to email us and I'll Go about telling them that it's, it'll be a difficult game, and it'll be a pleasure to have them if they want to if they want to play. Well, that's great, Jim. And uh, folks can look forward to uh, reading more about the Alberta Bowzone and Classic Outfitters in an upcoming issue of uh, Peterson's Bow Hunting uh, sometime here in in 2011. We'll tell the story of uh, the hard hunting up here and. Uh, some of your clients who have been successful, and I'm looking forward to seeing Earl and his 186-inch deer in the magazine. So, Jim, thanks again for your hospitality this week. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to experience this special uh, bow hunting uh, location, and I wish you continued success with your outfitting and uh, uh, the things that you're doing up here in the Alberta Bow Zone. You're very welcome, Christian. It's been my pleasure. And Hopefully we'll get you a crack at one of these good ones before uh, before you go home in a couple of days. Sounds good, man. Okay. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio with editor Christian Byrne. For more information on this and other topics, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now.